The title of my message this morning is Light Revealed, and we pick it up in Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day. I'm sorry, and crucified and on the third day rise again. And then they remembered his words and returning to the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to be to them as idle talk. And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, and he saw the linen clothes by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. I think all of you at one time or another has even heard or used the term, it's always darkest before the dawn. As we come to the 24th chapter of Luke's gospel and we remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ, let us not forget what we explored together on Friday. To understand and to fully appreciate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we must first understand and appreciate all that Jesus Christ did for us on the cross three days earlier. In the darkest moment in human history, which I know is a lofty statement to make due to all the evil and the corruption that this world has ever experienced and known, the darkest day in human history happened 2,000 years ago. And it was period in a three-hour window. Within that three-hour window, darkness blanketed the earth. And in that moment... As Christ hung on the cross at high noon, the Bible tells us that the world was darkened by God the Father. And in the darkness, at that moment, at the pinnacle of the darkest time in human history, the judgment of God was poured out upon His Son for all who would believe in Him. The separation was experienced by the Son from the Father that all experience who are apart from Christ. And death was experienced as Jesus gave himself as a ransom for many. And in that moment in time, the atonement, the possibility of salvation was now able to be offered to any who would believe. But now we come to the third day. And as the disciples and as those same women who came to the tomb on the early morning of that third day remembered in their mind's eye and in their heart what they had experienced, fully anticipating the body of Christ to be there within the tomb. Uh, They were ready to anoint his body with oil. 
They were ready to take this moment in time to attend to the physical remains of Jesus Christ because they had seen for themselves the incredible agony in which he went through those six hours on the cross and then specifically the last three in which that darkness fell. But this morning I bring to your attention that all four gospel writers tell us this. That when the women came to the tomb to anoint the body that morning, it was early dawn. The sun was just beginning to creep over the horizon. And the darkness was being abated by the rising sun. It is to this fact that many churches offer Easter sunrise services. We don't offer that here because I know what most of you are like before you have your coffee. (laughs) And for your sakes, we offer it at a reasonable time such as 10 o'clock. We don't want any divisions within the church, especially those who choose to change to decaf that particular morning. But as the sun was rising, it was a imagery that was allowing the individuals to see that something was dawning that was even greater than the darkness in which they had just experienced. And though on Friday darkness reigned, three days later, darkest before the dawn, the light was revealed. The resurrection of Jesus Christ confirmed everything that he ever said and did prior to that moment. It was God the Father validating everything that Jesus had done for those three years on the earth, claiming to be the Son of God, claiming to be the only way of salvation, claiming to be the way, the truth, and the life, claiming to be the light of the world. On that third day, on that morning that they saw the tomb was empty, things were rolled away, everything was taken care of, they even meet two individuals in dazzling apparel. That's something to see. For these angels were there. And they did not remove the stone for Jesus. The stone was nothing for Jesus. They removed the stones so those who, come to, who were coming to the tomb could look in, peer in, and see that his body was gone. For our advantage, the angels gave us that view to see that the tomb was empty. And as a result, God the Father is saying, I accepted my son's sacrifice. Salvation to the world is now possible. Anyone who believes can be saved. And that my son was exactly who he said he was. Throughout the Bible, there's this contrast between darkness and light. It's an imagery that we cannot miss, especially within the Gospel of John. And one of the claims that I want to really bring to your attention, because again, there's great ambiguity amongst the minds and the hearts of many Christians when they come to these specific terms in which Jesus uses about himself. They really don't know what it means, and therefore they can't truly appreciate what he is saying by it. This morning, I want to look at the fact that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. For the Bible clearly teaches us that darkness throughout the Bible indicates divine judgment, God pouring out his judgment upon his creation for their disobedience. 
So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, what exactly is he saying by that? Well, again, if we take it from Genesis to Revelation, we discover that this light is the light of salvation. That God is providing a manner and a way that people can escape the darkness and enter into light. They can be moved from death to life. They can have new life in God, in Christ for the very first time. And that's what we're going to work through together this morning. Just as I want each and every one of you to know and to appreciate what Christ did on the cross, let us now truly and fully embrace what Jesus Christ did by rising on the third day, validating all that he has says, all the promises that he has made. He is now saying, I can perform them for you. But if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, make your way to John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 12. John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 12. And again, Jesus spoke to them, he says, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the question is, this light that pierced the darkness, that allowed us an escape from death. He now claims this upon himself. He's saying, I am the light of the world. What does that mean for you and I today? Why is that so important for our discussion? From the very inception of his birth, uh, as he was being uh, given birth by his mother Mary there in the barn in Bethlehem, a light shone through the darkness to display that birth to all of creation. It was saying something more than just pointing the way. It was heralding the entrance into the uh, world of darkness by the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the individual of light himself. But what is this light? And what did Jesus mean when he said, I am the light of the world? We need to know this. For John answers this in John 1, 4 and 5. He says, in him was life and the life was the light of man. And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome slash comprehended it. And this is what we're going to be talking about this morning. Because the darkness has been abated by the light of Jesus Christ. What is this light in which he is speaking of? Why does he claim to be the light of the world? He is saying, I am the salvation of the world. I am not only the source and the giver of physical and spiritual life, but I am the model and the example of what new life amongst the darkness can look like. I am displaying for all who are around that they may see and know what new life in me is all about and can be for you. That is what he is saying. But notice this last phrase. It's important for us to embrace this morning. In John 1, 4 through 5, it says, The darkness has not overcome slash, and I'm going to give you this, comprehended it. And the reason I give you both words is dependent upon which version of the English Bible you have. 
And both words are correct. And both words truly uh, articulate the point that John is trying to make. Jesus came into the world and the darkness who saw this light did not understand it, could not comprehend it, and we'll talk about why in just a moment, but also could not overcome it, could not suppress it, could not bring it to nothing. That's what John is saying here. Though the darkness may try, it was impossible for the darkness to overcome the light that God had brought into this world. And this light is life, a new life that is possible to have within Jesus Christ. But why didn't the darkness understand it? Now, when you first think of darkness and you understand the concept of it, you think of it first and foremost merely as a sphere in which evil operates. But the Bible also tells us that the heart and mind of fallen man is darkened. It is a mindset that an individual carries with them. And they don't understand this mindset. They don't fully know and understand uh, that they are in this darkness because they are surrounded by others who are in darkness also. And therefore, they don't see any difference. And therefore, they can comfort themselves and consider themselves a better person than they actually are because they simply compare themselves to one another. I love when I get to talk to people about Jesus and their need for Jesus and I talk to them about sin, and I talk to them about evil, and they immediately try to separate themselves from either concept. Well, I'm certainly not an evil person, and I only sin once in a while, and even the sins that I do commit, they're not really that bad. I'm nowhere near Jeffrey Dahmer or Hitler or Gacy or any of them. I'm like, thank God, (laughs) you know. But that's not the standard. The standard is the perfection of Jesus Christ. And that becomes much more challenging to the individual because now we are talking about a standard of perfection that they are perfectly incapable of ever meeting. And that's why we need Jesus. See, the darkness didn't understand this new life. It didn't get it. Not only the sphere in which, of course, evil runs unabated, But the individual mindset who is in darkness, the one who walks apart from Christ, they they see it and they observe it, but they don't fully understand it. I, I don't get it. I mean, it looks pretty interesting and it's definitely different, but I'm not really sure I comprehend all that is going on there. And that's why then John moves into the next portion of that chapter and talks about the witness of John the Baptist trying to explain this new life that is now available to any individual who would believe to help them understand their need for Jesus. Again, Jesus not only wanted to show that he and demonstrate that he was the source of all physical and spiritual life, He wanted to demonstrate for you and I what this new life can look like amongst a fallen world. He wanted us to know the difference. He wanted us to see what was possible in Him. And we would be completely unaware and naive of this if Christ had not had come. 
And the resurrection of Jesus Christ indicated and confirmed that he truly was the light of the world. And so the writer John goes on to say in John 8, 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. In the Greek, it's no longer will walk in darkness. Their eyes will be opened. Their hearts will be opened. Their minds will be transformed. They will become a new creation in Christ. If they follow me. Now we need to seriously talk about this word follow for just a minute here. It is a word that Jesus used to describe what would happen to one who actually and truly believes in Jesus. They wouldn't just simply acknowledge him as a fact. They wouldn't even Uh, simply believe in him saying, yes, I believe he's capable of doing such things. One who truly believes and has faith in Jesus Christ is one who is going to take that step out to follow Jesus. We said it this way. We know, or we can say that there is a bridge in a forest over a cavern And we can know that that bridge exists. And if someone asks us about that bridge, we can say, yes, I know that once you get out to the forest, there's a bridge in which you can cross to cross the cavern safely. That's knowing. I simply know that that bridge exists. And there's many people who simply know that God exists, that Jesus exists. You can go one step further and say, well, Once I get out there, I know you know that bridge is there, but do you believe that it is capable of supporting my weight so I can cross safely across the, the, the ravine? Yes, I believe that the bridge is made soundly. I know others who have crossed it safely. And not only do I know that the bridge is out there, but I believe that the bridge is perfectly capable of supporting you and keeping you safe as you cross the ravine. But then if the individual were to ask, have you ever gone out to the woods yourself and crossed that bridge and did it support you? And that would be faith. That would be following God. If I could come back and say, yes, and I also have gone out there and I've gone to the woods and I've crossed that bridge. Now I'm saying that I have faith in that bridge and I am allowing that faith to carry me in my belief in that bridge across that bridge. And the Bible says it's not enough just to know about God for the devil and his angels know that. It's not enough just to believe that others have been saved by God. I've seen they were saved by God, uh, you know, and therefore, since I know God can save, I'm sure I'm going to go to heaven. No, it's not until you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and take that step forward and follow after him. That's when real belief comes into practice and into play. You're saying, not only do I know and believe, but I have faith enough to trust that I am going to follow the Lord. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Those who believe in me, those who have faith in me will not walk in darkness, but will walk in the light and have the light of life. One commentator wrote, he said, to follow Jesus means to believe on him. 
Many people have the mistaken idea that they can live as Jesus lived without ever being born again. To follow Jesus means to come to him in repentance, to trust him as Lord and Savior, and then to commit one's life wholly to him. Those who do this have guidance in life and clear and bright hope beyond the grave. Now, one of the most difficult aspects of talking to one who is in darkness is the reality that they don't understand that they are in darkness. You have to demonstrate to one per, a person because they don't know it. They don't see it. They don't get it. They don't comprehend it because everyone around them is just like them. And therefore, they seem like they're normal, they're okay, everything's good, uh, you know, and I, I'm better than these people, so I, I guess I'm doing okay if God grades on a curve, you know? But here's the problem. They're in, a, they're in a pit of darkness before God that they cannot get out and they don't even realize it. But they have the symptoms of it. And those symptoms often echo in the most private times of our life, warning their conscience that something is wrong, alluding to the fact that they are separated from God, allowing them to see in a moment their need for a Savior. And it's often in those quiet times as they lay their head on the pillow at night perhaps and their mind starts reeling with all the different thoughts of life. And it begins to echo within their heart and within their mind that something may not be right. And some of those symptoms are as follows. As we look at these individuals who find themselves in darkness but do not realize it, there are always symptoms to accompany that fact. And the first symptom that I often find is their symptom of deep, utter loneliness feeling as even if they were walking in a mall surrounded by hundreds of people, you know, just go to Woodfield on Christmas. You have to be nuts to do that. But if you really do that and you walk through the mall and you still feel lonely, that's one of the symptoms. When you lay your head on your bed at night, and even though you may have hundreds of friends on social media and, and individuals that co correspond with you back and forth, you realize that you are in a place of separation. You're lonely and you don't know why you are lonely. And the number one cause for individuals under 25 today to seek therapy, to seek counseling, is due to deep and utter loneliness. That's one of the deep symptoms of this darkness. It's an indication that you are separated from God. That the ultimate relationship that God desires you to have, you are missing out on. That relationship that will fulfill and satisfy your most deeper inner core has been severed by sin. And as a result, not only do they feel lonely, but they feel empty without purpose, without, without a cause. They, they don't know where they fit in in the grand spectrum of the world in which they live, looking and seeking for an identity to somehow, some way distinguish them from everyone else in this world. And often people try to fill this emptiness with the things of the world only to find 
that it's an insatiable appetite that can never be satisfied with anything within the world and that only God can fill for you. The third symptom of this dark place of darkness is they feel lost. They don't know where they're going in life. They don't know which way is right. They, uh, they're trying to make decisions and they're trying to find direction, but they just can't seem to do it. And as a result, they feel lost. They don't know what direction to go into. And as a result, often they don't go anywhere. Just spin their wheels in the pit of mud of being lost. The world is reeling in hopelessness today, which is another symptom of this darkness. They don't know what to have hope in. Recently, I was watching an episode of a TV show called The Good Doctor, and one of the main characters was uh, diagnosed with a brain tumor. And his protege, his mentor, Dr. Sean Murphy, tried to encourage him to have a a second and third opinion and further imaging to make sure that they've exhausted all possibility because Sean would not give up on the premise of hope. But his mentor, Dr. Glassman, said, Sean, there's nothing for me to hope in. I can hope that the San Francisco 49ers, he said, have a good defense, but that's not going to make it so. I can hope that my bus is going to be on time, but just because I hope that doesn't mean it's going to change anything. And what he was expressing is what one in darkness would express when it comes to hope. Because I am severed from God, I don't know where to place my hope within, and therefore all I can do is hope to have hope. But the hope of a believer in Jesus Christ is not in hope alone. It's in my heavenly Father and what He is capable of doing, and nothing's too hard for Him. That's what God does. So people are hopeless. They may have hope, but they don't have hope in anything. And as a result... They're falling into depression and despair because hopelessness is rampant. Anxiousness is another symptom of this darkness. There's no peace. They're trying to find peace in a world that cannot offer peace. Our Lord and Savior said it very clearly. Hey, listen, you can pursue peace in this world all you want. You're not going to find it. But the peace that I give you is not like that of the world. It's not based upon circumstances. It's based upon who I am. It's based upon the foundation in which I will give you and to be able to stand within a chaotic world. It's based upon me and in me you can be secure in a completely insecure world. That's what God is saying. But one in darkness has no place to place their foot. As Jesus said very clearly, it is only upon sand in which they can find to place their foot and their foundation. As soon as the storms and circumstances of life come, that sand will sink and fade away fast. There's worry in this world like never before because they have nowhere to put their faith. Jesus made it very clear that when one worries, they are demonstrating that they don't have faith to get them past the worry in which they're experiencing. 
But again, people today in darkness, they don't know what to attach their faith to. Do I have faith in technology? Do I have faith in politics? Do I have faith in um, the state? Do I have faith in doctors? Do I have faith in this? Where, is your, where are you going to place your faith? And whatever their ability is, is the limitation of the faith that you can have. But when I have faith in God and I'm reminded that nothing is too difficult or complicated for God, guess what happens? Nothing becomes impossible. And when I am up against the wall and I'm faced with an impossible circumstance, I look at it not as a, not as a, um, a situation of hopelessness. I see it as an opportunity for God to do something great. And lastly, a symptom of, of darkness that indicates to a person that they are in darkness is their guilt of their conscience. I am surprised that in 2018, as much as we have tried to eliminate guilt from all uh, consequence and actions of an individual, how many people feel guilty and they cannot remove that guilt? They know that something's wrong and yet they cannot do anything about it. And I tell you that in this life, in this light that Jesus Christ is able to give us, the first thing that he deals with and takes away is our guilt. And I remember when I was 16 years old, when I came to Christ, the very first thing that I remembered is that I finally had for the first time a clear conscience before God. And it was amazing. I'm not saying it lasted long. I'm just saying it was amazing. And that's what God deals with at the very moment that you give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus is saying. The world doesn't comprehend these things. They see Jesus and they don't understand it. They don't get it. They tried. They did everything they could to overcome him, but they failed, didn't they? 2,000 years later, we are still celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 2,000 years later, God is still working as powerfully today as he was working then amongst those people. It's amazing to me that Jesus Christ has warranted such love and such hate by society. An individual that if you really consider on the grand scheme of history was an absolute blip on the radar, and excuse me God for saying that. He only lived 33 years. He never traveled more than 100 miles from his hometown. Never ran for political office. He was completely in poverty from the time he was born to the time he died. He was an individual that was... um, mocked and ridiculed and even rejected by his own people, the Jewish people. At 33, he died a horrible death. And prior prior to that, he was whipped, he was beaten, he was mocked, spit upon. And yet more songs have been written about Jesus than anybody else. More artwork has been created about Jesus than anyone else. More books have been written about Jesus than anybody else. 
more attention to Jesus has been given than anyone else in history and to the point that all time is measured by him BC and AD. It's incredible to consider. And yet he is the most hated, loved person in the entire world. It's all because on the third day he rose again and he said that I am the light of this world and anyone who follows me will not walk in that darkness any longer but will have the light of life and in that life you will have a relationship with God that will satisfy you to the 10th degree. You will be personally fulfilled in the sense that no longer will you be walking as one lost about in the darkness being tossed each and every direction by society telling you which way to go. You know, it's amazing how many different ways society wants to pull us in every different direction. And often it's amazing at the advice that they give us that they change weekly. I don't know if I should eat eggs or not. One day they're good, the next day they're of the devil. Literally, deviled eggs. I got that joke from Joe. I just wanted to throw it out there. But you know what I'm saying. You don't know which way to go. People are wrestling with their own personal identity. They don't know who they are anymore. We are asking questions about the evil that is surrounding us and we want to blame the tools in which the evil uses to accomplish that sin rather than the heart of the individual using that tool. You know, we can look at guns in a certain way, but let us be honest, it's still the individual who pulls the trigger that's responsible for the crime. Let's deal with the heart of man that is desperately wicked. For the first time, one in this life that God offers, you will have direction because all the wisdom of God is at your fingertips in His Word. You will have hope like never before because it's connected not, not to some arbitrary uh, experience or arbitrary understanding. It is now connected to God. There's a peace in Christ that surpasses all understanding that we cannot explain but have internally because of our relationship with God. We can have faith because of the one in whom we have instead of turning to worry in our times of difficulty. And like I said, we can have a clear conscience for the first time in our life in God. This is what the resurrection means, guys. And it's all possible because he first died and experienced the judgment and the separation and the death that was scheduled for you and I. But if we will place our faith and trust in him, we can allow him to be our substitute and enjoy eternal life and the benefits of this new life that only Jesus can provide. It's not in a certain denomination of church. It's not through some secret that you have to then purchase this decoder ring to discover. It's not in the wisdom of man. It's not in the hierarchy of academia around the world. It's in an individual that lived for 33 years whose name was Jesus who changed the world by his death and furthermore by his life. But one 
misconception and myth that I want to dispel for you this morning is this. From the great theologians of J.R.R. Tolkien, and of course our modern-day theologian George Lucas and Star Wars, there are many who believe that God is looking for this balance between darkness and light. That God in some way has to keep the balance between darkness and light. And darkness will always be there and light will always be there. And they'll be in this constant cosmic conflict. And they will always be looking for superiority over one over the other. And they'll always be looking. And until we get that balance, we'll never have harmony within the universe. Let me tell you right now. God is not interested in harmony or balance with darkness. He is interested in eliminating it once and for all. And that began on the day that we celebrate today. John wrote, he said, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all sin. From the very moment that Adam and Eve decided to sin and rebel against God, darkness began to overshadow the earth. Through sin and then the result of sin, which is death, darkness became prominent within the world in which we lived. It wasn't until thousands of years later and in the whispers and in the promises of the Old Testament prophet that they said one is coming and when he comes, he's going to pierce the darkness for good. And when he comes, he's going to come in such humility and through him, the darkness is going to be vanquished once and for all. In fact, in the very first act of creation, God brought light into the darkness by simply saying, let there be light. And you know what there was? Light. And you know where that light came from? It came from him. Because he is the originator of light. He is the one that light emanates from. It is he and only he that has that ability to bring light into the darkness. And the only reason that darkness exists is due to the absence of God. But at the very end in Revelation, we are told very clearly that in the new heavens and in the new earth that God provides for us, there will be no need for a lamp or for the sun or for the moon because God will be the light for us to live by. We will see him as he is on his throne. And the kingdom of God will be established for all eternity. So many of you are now asking the question undoubtedly, why wouldn't, why wouldn't everyone just embrace this new life that God has for them? Well, Jesus told us the reason why. We don't have to speculate. We don't have to guess. And it's found in the third chapter of the Gospel of John. And I'd like you to turn there with me, if you will. 
This is going to answer that question. I, for the life of me, can't understand why anyone would want to continue and to live in darkness any longer when God has done everything that he could to bring you into this life in which he has for you. Now, let me make it clear. I'm not saying that everything's going to be rosy. I'm not going to say everything's going to be perfect. I'm not going to say you're not going to have trials, troubles, and tribulations, but you're not going to go through them alone. Christ is going to go with you. God is going to be there with you. And now you're going to have promises that you can rely upon that you didn't have before. And as a result, you know what's going to happen? God's going to carry you through these times. And as you get to the other end and as people witness you going through these times with the assistance of God coming alongside of you, you too are going to be a light in the dark world. So why wouldn't people just run to this, right? I mean, you ask yourself the question, it's like, why? Now, I understand that there are a lot of reasons that people have for not becoming a Christian. Well, Christians are all hypocrites. That's one of my favorite ones. And and again, it's it's true that we are all hypocrites, right? Because we often do something we don't want to do. And other times we don't do those things we want to do, right? We all make mistakes. Christians are not perfect. We're all works in progress. God's still working on me, so be patient as I be patient with you. Well, the church is such a corrupt institution. I don't want anything to do with it any longer. You know what? I get it. I get it. The American church is one of the most corrupt institutions in the world. I'm not talking about the American church. I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about the body of Christ, that members who are of this church are followers of Jesus. Again, they're not perfect. They make mistakes. But God is still working in and through their lives like ever before. Yeah, I, guys, I, I'm just as disheartened by some of the things happening in churches across America and the world as you are. But that doesn't negate that Jesus Christ is still exactly who he said he was. I wish we'd all understand that we have a a responsibility to represent him properly to others. And we would walk accordingly and live in the power of the spirit rather than the flesh. But we all make mistakes, don't we? Sometimes we run into church because we had a great week. Other times we crawl into church because it wasn't so good. And sometimes that's even me. There are times that my alarm will go off on Sunday mornings and Dean says, get out of bed. I say, I don't want to. But you have to, you're the pastor. I don't want to go. (laughs) They're mean. (laughs) I tell them the truth and they hate me even more. And she goes, suck it up, cupcake, and let's go. (laughs) Hey, man, we've all been there, right? So why don't people just run to this new life? Well, it's not an external problem. It's an internal problem. They want to make it an external conversation, but actually it's an internal one. And again, I don't say this from my own authority. I say this from the authority of Jesus Christ. John 3, 16. Notice how we begin here with the greatest verse of the Bible. We do have to admit at least it's the most popular verse at football games. Because the way they're hitting nowadays, you don't know if someone's going to go home to heaven soon afterwards or not. But listen to these words. Now, we all know verse 16, for God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son. Now we run through that word very quickly, but we realize Friday what that means, that he died for us, and that meant the judgment of God upon him, the separation from the Father, and personal death. He gave his only son that whomever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So let me ask you a question right now. Who is this invitation offered to? Everyone. For whom? Whoever. Whoever. Doesn't matter who it is. God's offering it to you. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So the purpose of Jesus' coming was to save the world that was already condemned. And whoever believes in him is not condemned by God because he has become our substitute. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. Notice what he says here. Now you maybe have never read this on. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world And yet, notice what he says here. Here's the internal problem. People loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. This is it. This is why everyone doesn't flood to Christ. Because once they do, the evil works of their hearts will be openly exposed in the light of Jesus Christ. And they will have to admit, maybe for the very first time, that they are not the good person that they thought they were. Because in the light of Christ, it's the light of perfection. Where Jesus says, even though you may not commit the actual act of adultery, simply lusting after another woman, you have committed that sin before God in your heart and in your mind. That's a standard that no one can can overcome in and of themselves. It's not that Jesus is saying that they prefer it. Jesus is saying very clearly here, what? You love it. Hey, I'd rather continue wallowing around in my sin. I'd rather continue in this position because I love it. And God's saying, why? When you could have so much more in me. Why would you die when you could live through my son, Jesus Christ? I know your works are evil. And if you come to me and ask for forgiveness, I will forgive you. If you come to me and ask for forgiveness and repentance, I will cleanse you from all of those works and you'll be a new creation in Christ. And you will have that life that I offer to you. Look at what he goes on to say. Jesus, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is our Lord. This is the real reason that people won't come to Jesus Christ. And this isn't, again, on my authority, it's on His. It's that they not only want to stay in the darkness, but they love the darkness. 
And at moments, the darkness may seem to provide for them a certain temporary happiness, a certain temporary fulfillment, a certain temporary satisfaction, but that's just it. It is temporary in every sense of the word. And Jesus says, if you come to me, that temporary moves to eternal. And that eternal can never be taken from you because it is I who has given it to you. This isn't about church. It's not about individuals being hypocrites. It's not about, you know, uh, what the world has to offer. It has to do with your own personal heart. Jesus said, the reason you don't come is because you love the darkness. But if you're willing to come, I am willing to save. And that offer is open to each and every one of us here today. And even if it's been a while and you had a relationship with God and, and, and you were walking with God and you fell away from God and, and you're saying, I, I don't know if I could ever come back to that. I don't know if I could ever get there again. God is saying to you, come back today. And he said that I am like a father waiting for a child to return home who is wayward. And when I see that child coming back, notice that I am there watching and waiting for that child to come up so I can run to meet him and to embrace him and once again welcome him back in to fellowship with me. That's our heavenly father. Satan will constantly condemn you to keep you from God. God will convict you to draw draw you to him. So I don't care if you've never known God before or if you've had a walk with the Lord and you kind of turned away. Today is your day to come back. Or today is your day to come once and for all to the saving work of Jesus Christ. The Bible clearly tells us that there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. All of this has been done in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And if you will believe in that, The resurrection of Jesus Christ confirms that to each and every one of us here today. And that's what we celebrate going forward. And if you will come to Christ today, this new life will be yours and your old life will pass away and all things are brand new. And if you've wandered away from the family for a little while, you've gotten sidetracked and instead of going straight with the Lord, you kind of went sideways, come back right now and God will meet you here today. And he'll embrace you like you never left. That's the grace of God. And we all need it from time to time. And that's what's offered to us because Jesus said, first and foremost, that I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life.